This morning we'll be reading a text that was a part of the lectionary cycle of readings back in January. Unfortunately, I was sick with the flu that Sunday and Carol generously uh, pitched in for me that day. Uh, But I thought I would go ahead and uh, come back to that today on this Sunday in Lent. It really ties in actually quite well with our series on faith and sexuality uh, that we're working with our young uh, young adults and youth and children. And also uh, in this season of Lent, we're thinking about uh, the, the light in the wilderness and the way that we can have integrity in our lives even when we are in the wilderness. It is... Uh, really a tie-in to that Celtic spirituality that the Sunday School class is also looking at, the sense that all things cohere or hold together in Christ. And that is really central to the text. Boy, I'm sorry for that. Let's see if I can do something. So the text is from uh, Paul's letter to the Corinthian church. Paul spent about 18 months in Corinth, Uh, And the churches there were a group of house churches. And uh, he didn't stay long enough to really stabilize them because after he left, they had all sorts of problems. But sometimes it's just that way when the gospel comes into your life, uh, there are whole new sets of questions and problems that arise that maybe you didn't have before. And so uh, it seems that the the Corinthians were were struggling with... uh, cultural influences, leadership from within that that caused some divisions. Uh, There were classes of people there, rich and poor. There were slave and free. Uh, Sometimes uh, uh, that would get, you would have a person of high status in terms of wealth be a person of low status in terms of their uh, place in life, like a wealthy woman. And so you had these mixtures of people in in the various house churches They had different ideas, and uh, so Paul was writing to address some of the problems and the uh, questions that they had talked to him about. So in that context, uh, I'll read from the the sixth chapter of uh, the letter to the Corinthians, which, by the way, uh, Clarence Jordan in in the Cotton Patch Gospels, he called this Paul's letter to Atlanta, to the church in Atlanta. So really it's Paul's letter to any big city church. And uh, I'm going to begin in in chapter 6. And this is what some of... but, But you have been washed, you have been sanctified, you have been justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by his spirit our God. He's saying you have been baptized. You are people who now have the spirit in you because you've been baptized. And then he goes on to quote one of their slogans. Everything is permissible for me. They were celebrating their freedom because they were free from the demands of the law because of the grace of Christ uh, at the cross and in the resurrection. So everything is now permissible for me. But Paul answered, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me but I will not be mastered by anything. 
Just because something is technically legal doesn't mean it's spiritually appropriate. If I went around doing whatever I thought I could get by with, I'd be a slave to my self-centered whims. You know the old saying, first you eat to live and then you live to eat. Well, it may be true that the body is only a temporary thing, but that's no excuse for stuffing your body for food or indulging it with illicit, casual relationships. Since the Creator honors you with a body, honor God with your body. God honored the Lord's body by raising it from the grave, and he'll treat yours with the same resurrection power. Until that time, remember that your bodies are created with the same dignity as the master's body. There is more to physical intimacy than mere skin on skin. It is as much spiritual mystery as physical fact. It is written in the scriptures, the two shall become one. Since we want to become spiritually one with Christ, we must not pursue the kind of physical relationships that avoid commitment and intimacy and leaving us more lonely than ever. The kind of encounters that can never really become one flesh. There is a sense in which our bodily sins are different from all others. Or did you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, a sacred place? Don't you see that you can't live however you please, squandering what God has paid such a high price for? The physical part of you is not some piece of property belonging to the spiritual part of you. God owns the whole works, so let people see God in and through your body. Glorify or honor God with your body. This is the word of the Lord. So, I want to begin with a story. Uh, A woman tells a true story of her driving along with her six-year-old daughter in the back seat. And uh, she's driving along. The little girl says, Mommy, where did I come from? And this well-educated, wise Christian woman starts to panic a little bit. She's driving along. Mommy, where did I come from? Well, I was really hoping not to have this conversation with you so soon or, and, while we're driving. But, and so she started to sort of explain the birds and the bees. And, and her daughter's just got this frown on her face. And finally, the little girl says, Mommy, I just want to know where I came from. Was it St. Vincent's or Baptist Hospital? <laughs> so... She wasn't asking the biological questions. She was asking a geographical question. But we're here to talk more about the metaphysical questions. Where did we come from? And how does that matter in our relationships today? You know, it's, a, it's perilous territory I know I'm entering into right now. The church has not always been so good so on the mark in its teaching about human sexuality. 
about relationships, about celibacy, about having children, about gender identity. We're all learning. But yet, it's important when the scripture speaks about something that we do take a look at it. It's it's very important. You know, the season of Lent began with Ash Wednesday, where we said that we came from dust, and to dust we shall return. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. In this simple phrase, we are affirming our bodily existence and our unity with the great body of God in creation. Paul says in Colossians, all things are created in and for Christ. All things hold together in Christ. And all things are reconciled to God through Christ. We're a part of that, a part of a great whole. When Paul uses the word body, he's not just talking about blood cells and and skin. He's talking about the whole person, one whole, unified. Rudolf Bultmann says that the the human being is not, doesn't just have a body, the human being is a body. We are bodily creatures. The Corinthians thought that they could be reconciled with God in some sort of spiritual sense, and yet their bodies were split off from this somehow, and it was out, they were outside of God's redemptive concern. Their slogan was, because of the grace of Christ, because human merit and worthiness are overcome by the incredible love of God, accomplished through the death and resurrection of Christ. Now the law is of less importance. Everything is permissible for me. What is right for me is right. Whether Whatever it is that I desire or want, I should be able to have. Isn't this what all of the billions of dollars of advertising tell us in a thousand ways every day? And you can see the serious problem that this has. Just prior to this, Paul has upbraided the Corinthians about their habit of suing each other in civil courts. Paul says there's something wrong with your heart when you would rather sue people and hurt each other and damage the credibility of the gospel in the community than to be wronged. He says, why why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be defrauded than to do that? But the Corinthians were so insistent on having what they wanted, on justifying their position, that they were willing to split the church and damage the gospel's reputation. So in this instance here, the concern of Paul is focused on how the Corinthians are splitting body and spirit, relationships and religion. The Spirit of God is within us, and if one is baptized, you have that Spirit. And yet, how then can you use your body for self 
gratification and self-fulfillment only. It's a matter of great confusion for us today. Great confusion for our young people. Great confusion for kids that go away to college who have faith and are wondering how with all this new freedom that I have as I grow up, what am I to do with it? So physical intimacy, as Paul is talking about it in chapter 6, we know it can refer to a wide range of relationships and actions from promiscuous and casual to committed union of an engaged couple to marriage. And I'd like to read just a short passage from a, a church statement, not the church statement, it's not the final word or the full word of the church on this, but it is a paragraph by a church committee that studied this back, oh, 40 years ago. And this is what they said. They said, the church advocates the reserving of total intimacy for relationships of total commitment, which marriage is supposed to be. Let me say that again. The church advocates the reserving of total intimacy for relationships of total commitment, which marriage is supposed to be. But not all premarital acts are are rendered equally irresponsible because they fail to meet that standard, the statement goes on to say. It does matter what motives, intentions, and concerns for consequences are present in the persons involved. It remains true, however, that we are quick to justify ourselves and our, our motives and intentions, our own good, good opinion of ourselves, our own favorable, favorable estimates of the consequences. And we need constant reminders that love is not to be equated with infatuation and that the heat of passion is a great occasion for rationalization. The Corinthians thought that the seventh commandment, you remember that one, don't you? They thought the seventh commandment didn't even apply to them if they were married and were involved in an extramarital, consensual, or contractual relationship. They were having mutually agreed upon liaisons. So what's wrong with that? As if the marital marital vows had clauses in fine print, kind of like at the bottom of car commercials, little fine print that said, well, if you're bored or if you're unhappy, if you find a willing partner, if you can do it and nobody knows and nobody will be hurt, Paul doesn't just throw the seventh commandment at them because he knows that they don't think it even pertains to them. Paul starts out by saying, you may be free, but not everything is helpful or healthy. And then he turns that freedom around in kind of an ironic way. He says, you know, a person can lose their freedom by insisting on it so strongly that they become a slave to autonomy. 
independence, demanding my rights, in insisting on their freedom in the sphere of physical intimacy, the Corinthians lost touch with who they were, with their core identity as baptized bearers of God's spirit. They were called to love God and no other gods, not the gods of their desires or their opinions, and to love their neighbor, even the neighbor that might be promiscuous or vulnerable. You see, Christian life cannot be compartmentalized. There cannot be fine print that excludes us from our identity as baptized spirit bearers. The Christian life is always lived before God. It is sacramental, it is incarnate bodily, and it is corporate. In Corinth, they wanted to honor God in their religion, in their prayers, in their seeking of knowledge for those who were wealthy in the giving of their alms. But could they honor, or even should they honor, God in their bodily relationships? How does a person honor God with their body? Remember, body and soul, psyche and spirit, these are not separate discrete things. This is one person. Different ways of looking at one unified person. Whatever we do involves bodily actions. It involves the whole person. So we are called to an integrity and justice and love in our actions. The community in Iona in Scotland has a statement about their values that I think is very helpful. I'm going to read just a little bit of it. They start by saying, we owe our existence as a community to the central gospel conviction that all that we are and all that we do is lived before God. Everything we do is an offering to God or nothing is an offering to God. We may may not pick and choose. Our whole life, we believe, is a search for wholeness. We desire to be fully human with no division in the sacred and the secular. We desire to be fully present to God who is fully present to us. In our neighbor, in the political and social activity of the world, in the field of culture and economics, and yes, in the field of intimate relationships. Of ourselves, we cannot make this happen. We cannot make ourselves whole any more than we can make ourselves happy or good. But we do believe that by grace, we are to structure our lives both individually and together in obedience to the vision of God that the wholeness, the wholeness that we see through the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. This is what Paul is getting at. Corinthians, you must not compartmentalize your life as if there are some things that are holier than others 
for them, their body wasn't particularly holy. Now, we live in an age where we, some people, worship the body, where we spend enormous amount of time on beauty and health and fitness. And this scripture isn't about bashing people who are out of shape. That's not what honoring God with your body is trying to say. Spiritual maturity is not about autonomy or or freedom of the self to do what it wants, to seek its own self-fulfillment. It is more about inclusion and holding all things together, all people, all actions together with dignity and integrity. Jesus' metaphor of the wedding feast is the final and loving union that God calls us to. And Jesus' final prayer that we may all be one includes the oneness of our bodily relationships. God is a trinity of love, a holy mystery, and our relationships always embody that mystery because we are the baptized, the spirit bearers of God.